0: Welcome to Weston Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God has been doing something amazing in Weston. And as good as it has been and is, it can still get better. Believe it or not, it can get better And so for the next three weeks, we're going to go on a journey together called Know God, K-N-O-W, not N-O, but K-N-O-W, Know God. And my hope and prayer from the get-go is this. By the time we start this series and finish this series, wherever you are in your relationship with the Lord, it goes that much further. It goes that much deeper. Because here is the thing. If you settle for this here and now, There is so much more that you're still going to miss out on. And there is so much more. So if you're ready to go deeper, if you're watching online right now, type in the chat the word deeper and just say this out loud with me, deeper. Deeper. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for all that you have done and are doing and will continue to do. But Lord, as we go now and we go into your word I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would do only what you can do. You've given me the words. You've said everything you need to say. But I pray that now it will land where it needs to land, that it will transform our hearts, our minds, and our spirits in your name. Amen. 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 No God. Here's the deal. I have been asking God a lot of questions at the beginning of this year and pondering at a lot of things. And you can ask my wife when I ponder sometimes it can be a scary thing. (laughs) It's not a good thing. But one of the things I've really, really been asking God and fighting back and forth with is I've been wondering how someone can go from passionately following Jesus to all of a sudden no longer following Jesus, to completely denying him. I've been wondering how people could show up, encounter God's presence, and walk out the doors and nothing changed. I've been wondering how someone can accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and walk back into the world and nothing in the world ever changes. It was like nothing ever happened. I've been often wondering how church has went from this thing that's supposed to be about God to us and me. And about my preference and about what I want and what music I need to listen to, what style, the time it needs to start, the time it needs to end, what we need, what programs we need and we don't need. I've been often wondering, how did we get to this place? What are we missing? How do we go from making this about the one who really matters to about something that is finite and can just disappear in his dust just like that and as I've been asking the Lord in my own private time and having these conversations he began to speak to me and just show me something that we've been missing and I think what I've come to realize is sometimes if we're not careful we can settle for a Jesus that is not biblical at all we can serve a Jesus that's not even this we can come to a church, which we're not that place, by the way. That's not even this. Sometimes I think we treat Jesus like a pet. I have a pet at home. I own a nice little Yorkie uh, terrier. It's 14, uh, 13 years old. 13, yes? Yeah, thanks, son. Um, and I tell you, she'll do anything for me. As soon as I come in the door, she'll run up. She'll like... She loves me, but she also knows where she'll get her treats and gets the special stuff (laughs) when mom's not around. (laughs) But sometimes I think we treat Jesus the same way. Nice, Jesus. Nice, Jesus. It's okay. You're going to tolerate who I am. You understand. Your grace is enough. Shake a paw. And it's all good. But as I've come to discover... And you'll see this thread all throughout the Bible if you look for it. That actually isn't true at all. In fact, your relationship with Jesus is actually dependent on you. And here's what I mean by this. God will not come to a place where he's not invited and not respected. He is not a violator of free will. God will come where he is respected and where he is invited. But the choice is yours. If you want to go deeper with Jesus, you actually have to make the first step. James chapter 4 verse 8 tells us this. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's not the other way around. I used to pray these prayers when I was younger. Lord, I just want more of you. Please, you know, draw me closer to you. And God's like, no, no. Like, you have to actually initiate and take the first step. I actually have to step out. See, here's the thing. God is already willing and ready to have a full and deep, intimate relationship with us. He's already there. He's laid it out as clear as possible and said, here we go. He is waiting on you to initiate and step closer to him. And for every step closer you take to him, he will come back to you. And so how do we get to this place of where it's about us, where it's okay to justify some things and grace and treat the, order, the extraordinary God very ordinarily. Come on now. Wow. And I believe if you can get this, what I'm about to talk to you about today and start this series off with, you can get this in your heart, in your spirit, and in your mind, And you get this one thing alone, it will unlock everything else that you need. So let me ask you this. Are you ready? The thing I want to talk to you about and kick this series off with today, my title for this, to start it off, is called Holy Fear. Holy Fear. It is the key, I believe, if you look at the Bible, it will unlock so much. You see... Our culture has taught us a lot of good Christianese, sometimes too good. It has taught us a lot about the love of Jesus, but it has forgotten to talk about the respect of God. And in any relationship, if you look at marriage, you need love and respect to make it work. Love without respect, your marriage is unbalanced. Respect without love, you have an unbalanced marriage. And here is the thing it is the same thing when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Love without respect is an unbalanced, an incomplete relationship with Jesus. Respect without love is an unbalanced, incomplete relationship with Jesus. Because if you fall in love with Jesus but you don't respect him, it is very easy for you to justify things that don't line up With his word. It's very easy to compromise. It's very easy to take what is extraordinary and holy and awesome and treat it as commonplace. It is easy to treat the sacred things, the holy things of God, and make it about moi. And so, holy fear, otherwise known in the Bible as the fear of the Lord, fear of God. There are many phrases for it. It is... A common thing. In fact, if you look in the Bible, God does not introduce himself as love in the first place. It is not the first thing he says about himself. Right? And I think sometimes if we focus too much on the love, we miss the big picture of who God is. So I want to talk to you about it. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9, Verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. I'm going to read it in the NLT, and then I'm also going to read it in the NIV. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, NLT, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Now I'm going to read it in the NIV. I like this version better. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you really, really want to know who God is, and you really, really, really want to experience Him in His fullness, this is the place to start. This is ground zero. This is it. If you want to go deeper... It's on you. But I will say this before we dive in. The deeper you go, the more responsibility you have as a follower of Jesus as you get deeper. Also, the bigger the consequences when you treat it lightly. Just ask Moses. Just ask King Saul. And there are others in the Bible. If you want to hear at the very end, well done, my good and faithful servant, this is the place you need to begin. Here's the thing. There are many things that we love. We all love things. I mean, I love chocolate. I like it a lot. But I don't respect chocolate. <laughs> chocolate comes and goes. <laughs> but I love it. I want some. I can ha- head to the Dollar Tree afterwards and grab some. It's good. But it does nothing for me other than it tastes, satisfies a sweet craving. That's it. I love my wife. But I also respect my wife. And because I respect her and love her, there are things I do on purpose to show her that and make her feel valued. And there are things I will not do on purpose, and I will not compromise ever because I respect and love her. And we need to get to that place if we're not there yet in our relationship with Jesus is not only that we love them, but we respect them enough that we're not going to bow a knee when we're asked to bow our knee on the things that actually matter. The real things that matter and make a difference in this world. And here's the thing you also need to know. Not everyone is actually a friend of Jesus. I hate to burst your bubble on this one. There used to be a song growing up I used to, we used to sing used to be called, I am a friend of God. Love it. It is a great song. But the truth of the matter is, when you look throughout the Bible, that does not actually apply to everyone. If you look throughout the Bible, God did not call everyone his friend. There were his disciples, and there were those that were his close like a brother. There were his friends. And Jesus was the fulfillment of this. But not everyone got the privilege and the honor of calling him friend. Not everyone got, got to know the secrets, the deep things, the heart things of God. Ask Abraham. He paid the price. Ask Moses. I mean, think about it. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. But he was the one that God said, I spoke, speak to him face to face like a friend. Yeah. Noah was the one that got the, the flood alert before everyone and anyone else. He got the blueprint building the ark no one else did right jesus himself who is a representative of the father he had 12 disciples and then there were three not all 12 got access to everything three of them did and sometimes peter even more so to get to that deep place to that intimate place though this thing, holy fear, is a huge key to it. And this is why it matters. It matters because in the Bible, you will hear this more often than not, but the fear of the Lord is actually mentioned 86 times in the Bible, just so you know, old and new. Okay? Fear of God, the term, the phrase fear of God is actually mentioned 59 times. And fear of the Lord is actually mentioned 139 times. That's how important this is. I have learned very early on, basic Bible college education, if something is repeated more than once, more than three times, you better pay attention. It means something. And if it's repeated throughout the old and the new, you really, really need to pay attention. So let me just debunk a myth before we actually get into what holy fear actually is. Having a holy fear is not just an Old Testament principle. Sometimes when we hear the terms like fear the Lord, the fear of God, we think this is just an Old Testament thing. But it is not. The last time I checked, the Word said God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not in just the aspects we choose, but in every aspect. Sometimes we like to say that when it comes to our prayers being answered and our needs being met and we're believing for breakthrough. But when it comes to the actual side of God, It's like, "Eh." I can admit, I'm like that. But this applies to every aspect of who he is. It is not like, for some of you, this might be a myth buster. It is not like God changed when Jesus came. The method changed, but God is still the same. And sometimes we think, oh, the God of the Old Testament no longer exists because Jesus is here. But Jesus didn't come to do away with his father. He just came to bring this father to earth and bring that relationship closer. But God doesn't change. The same things he didn't tolerate in the Old Testament are the same things he still doesn't t- uh, tolerate today. What bothered him then still bothers him now. What matters to him then still mod- mod- matters to him today. So having a holy fear is an Old and New Testament principle. And I'm going to just prove it to you by using the word. So if you turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to look at the Old Testament first. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 111, it will also be on the screen verse 110 which says this The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom and all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom Next verse we're going to go to is Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 which says That's the whole story here now is my final conclusion Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. By the way, if you want to know what it is to have a bird's-eye view on a life living with a holy fear of God and one without, read the book of Proverbs first. King Solomon, you will see, lived in wisdom and in holy fear. And then when he turned... And forgot what holy fear was about. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's a very depressing book. Life is meaningless. Blah, 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 blah. And he had everything. Until you get to the very end, this verse I just read here. And he comes to this conclusion. Here's the final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. He had it. He lost it. And this is where we're at. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 33. We're going to go to verse 6, which says this, In that day he will be your sure foundation, providing a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord will be your treasure. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, says, And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. By the way, this verse is actually talking about Jesus himself, which now takes us to the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears and to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his, let me just make sure I got this right here, Because of his deep reverence for God. God heard his own son's prayers because of his deep reverence. Some translations would say the fear of the Lord. This is Jesus we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Let me just give you something to think about. When is the last time you, in your worship, personally, corporately, actually worshiped in holy fear and awe of who he is? Because if we're not careful, and I say this, I love worship, I love praising him, but we have a formula for worship in our culture. We sing four songs, too, too slow, too fast, too slow, clap our hands, rah, 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 you know, pastor will come up, say his thing, and we're good, and... For us, that's worship. But worship gets more and deeper than that. And so I'm asking you to think about this. When is the last time you pushed yourself beyond the formula and said, I worship him in awe and holy fear? Acts chapter 9, verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Want a growth strategy for church? There it is right there. All right. right, Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Having a holy fear of God is not a past tense thing. It is not an Old Testament thing. It is not just the New Testament thing. But it is a present tense thing for here and now and today. And just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. And ignorance in the kingdom is not an excuse, by the way. God has given us everything we need to know about him his instructions for life, how to approach him, how to worship him in this thing right here, this bad boy called the Bible. It is as plain and as simple as you can get it. And we live in a world today where you can get it in as many different translations and versions as you want. And if you can't read, you can listen to it, so there really isn't an excuse anymore. It is here. He has made it clear. But God is not going to hand it to you on a silver platter You actually have to dive in and want it. And you have to search for it. You have to read it. And you have to put in the time. Ten minutes a day is a good start. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, ten minutes a day shouldn't be where you're at 50 years later. It is here. You have to go after it. And as you go after it, the more you get. So what is holy fear? What is it? Well, let's talk about what it's not before we talk about what it is. Okay? First of all, having a holy fear of God is actually not being afraid of him and running away in terror. Let me give you a perfect example of this. My wife might chuckle at this. But in my household, I am the insect killer. (laughs) All right? And here is why. My boys see a spider, they run. Usually to their mom first. If they can't get to me, then my wife, she will run and come to me, and I have no choice but to face my fear and to crush it and bring it down and slay the dragon, and it's done. But it's funny to watch, because when there's a spider on the wall or a centipede, they're like, ah, and I'm like, what's going on? Oh, it's just on the wall. Okay, did it do anything? No. It's so disgusting and everything, and they come up with all these conclusions, like, fine, let's just kill it. It's done. That's not what I'm talking about. The only way you have that type of fear of God is if there's sin in your life and you're hiding something. You run in terror of who he is if you actually have something to hide. Ask Adam and Eve. In the very first account in Genesis, they're in the cool of the garden. When God created them, they actually got to have his presence where they got to walk and talk with him, like his tangible presence. And we'll get to this a little bit later. But can you imagine just having a conversation with him, knowing like he's right there? And then when sin entered the picture, God comes looking down for them. Like God already knew what happened, but God just longed to have that deep, intimate relationship with them. And they had to hide because there was something that was out of line with what God had instructed them to do. And when you have sin in your life, or when you have compromise in your life, you are constantly running in terror from the one who actually wants to draw you nearer to him. And so holy fear is not running away and hiding and being spooked by the dark and, you know, doing what I used to do. I used to be afraid of thunder when I was younger, and so I'd hide under the blankets every time and just wait there until it was done. That's not what we're talking about. And that's why God hates sin so much. Because it separates you from him. It distorts your view of him, which results you to stay away from him. Yeah. So that's not what we're talking about. And if you want a classic example of the difference between the two types of fear, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Let me set this verse up for you. I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis because there's a lot to read if you wanted to read it on your own. But long story short, Moses has, led the, Moses has an encounter with God at the burning bush. By the way, if you actually read that encounter correctly, God put the burning bush there. Moses had to take a step. And when Moses stepped towards the burning bush, then God called out to him. It's a lesson for us to learn. He put the burning bush there. Moses saw it. God, Moses was interested, took a step towards it. Then God called out. Oftentimes we think, oh, God just called out. No, Moses saw it. He was curious, and he stepped towards it. And then God did his thing, so you need to take the step. He has this amazing encounter. If you read in the very beginning, Moses has this encounter, so much so that he is afraid in terror of God. Has this conversation, and God reveals this plan. Hey, I'm going to use you to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. And he does all these amazing things. Fast forward, the Israelites come out. God is, or Moses is now leading them into the promised land. And Moses would go up to the mountain and spend time in God's actual manifest presence. Like he already knew he was around, but he would spend time and have conversation with him. And during this, one of these conversations, God says to Moses, Listen, I want my people, Israel, to come close to me. I want them to come into my tangible manifest presence. And so he gives them instructions tell them to consecrate themselves, set themselves apart, and in three days, basically, I'm going to come down here, and I want the Israelites to be able to enter into my presence in a way they've never entered in before. By the way, you can't approach God on your terms. I'm just throwing this out there. Biblically speaking, you think, we all think we can come to God on our terms. You can't. God has terms. It's up for us to know what those terms are. But you can't just approach him on your terms. God's will, God's way. God's blessing is God's way. So anyways, so then we get to this moment in Exodus chapter 20 where God comes down the mountain, and he's talking to Moses. And Moses now is telling the people, come up. And when they see God show his glory, the people run, and they are terrified. And this is where we get to Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, which says, Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of you of him will keep you from sinning there is two fears in here there's the fear i talked about of being terrified which by the way is a spirit of fear and in this verse is the other one the deep awe and the respect of who god is so holy fear is not running in terror It's not hiding. So if holy fear is not that, what is holy fear? Well, it's not a simple definition. It encompasses a lot, but let's get to it. Holy fear is having a deep reverence, respect, and awe of who God is. It's having a deep reverence and awe of who God is. It is living in a place where you are constantly in amazement and wonder of who he is. Where he's not ordinary. Oh, yeah, God just did that. But you're just like, wow, I can't believe he just did that. I get to have a relationship with him. Not, I have a relationship with him. But I get to do this. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you were in awe of who he is? and in wonder, and in amazement. Having a holy fear is valuing the things that God values. We live in a society where there is, I'm learning more and more as I get older, there is biblical church, and then there's cultural church. Cultural church has a certain set of values, and biblical church has a certain set of values. And they often don't mix, and they cause a lot of problems. If you have a holy fear of God, you value the things he values. Not what you think he should value, but what he values. You want to know what he values? Open this up. Read it, get it, spend some time in his presence. It's there. Having a holy fear is loving the things that God loves. God loves people. God wants his kingdom to advance. Do you love the things that God loves? How you know this is by how you obey Him. Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commands. It's very straightforward. Having a holy fear of God is hating what God hates. I know it's not a politically correct term, but God does hate things. It says it in His Word. There are things He does not tolerate, He detests. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. I'll read this for you quickly. But it says, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Ready? Number one, haughty eyes. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that kill the innocent. Number four, a heart that plots evil. Number five, feet that race to do wrong. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. And number seven, a person who sows sows discord in a family. That didn't change because of Jesus there are things he hates. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 tells us all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. You hate what he hates even if culture tells you that's incorrect. It is to hate sin. God loves people, by the way, but he hates sin. Let me just make this right. God loves people. So if you've uh, got grouchy pants and crusty pants all the time as a follower of Jesus, then you do have a lot to learn about Jesus. He loves people. He loves being around people. But he hates sin, and the reason he hates sin is because it separates people from him. It keeps people in bondage. It keeps them in strongholds, and it keeps them from fulfilling what God has in store for them. The plan he originally had. He hates sin. Do you hate sin? Does it bother you that there are people that you know who are going to spend eternity without him one day? Does it actually bother you? Does sin actually bother you? Or it's just like, oh, you know, we live in grace. Having, not having respect for God causes us to live in this hyper-grace movement where grace covers everything. By the way, if you interpret grace correctly, grace actually is empowering to actually spread the gospel forth and advance the kingdom. It's not a license to sin. Grace actually is going deeper in his presence. So when you live in what you call hyper-grace, you have no respect for who he is. And so you can compromise and say, ah, a little, a little sin is okay. Just so you know, in case you haven't read it, Jesus never compromised who he was to reach the lost. He never became culturally relevant like we talk about. He lived in the culture. He spoke the terms. But he was always on mission and always on point of of his father's business. He never compromised the truth or the mission to fit in. He said what he had to say. He did what he had to do. You take it or leave it. By the way, for those of us that are like, well, you know, I dabbled in this. Because I remember hearing this a lot growing up. You know, we're doing this. We want to save people. We do that. Listen, if you want to follow the pattern of Jesus, he spent hours in prayer before he actually went right so if you spent only 10 minutes in prayer and an hour and a half in strategy you got it wrong he spent lots of time in prayer you will read oftentimes often after he preached he withdrew to a, a lonely place and he spent a lot of time right when he was before he was about to be crucified he said to his disciples can you spend not even 1 hour with me you can look it up yourself That means Jesus thought that one hour with his father was nothing. So that's kind of like your baseline for your prayer life, just throwing it out there. Have you spent one hour? Can you not spend one hour? He spent a lot of time in prayer and then went about. He operated in the function and in step with the Holy Spirit in order to change the culture. But never once do you read him trying to fit in. And do things and lower, he didn't lower the bar to save. He just did it. And he said, this is the bar and here it is. Come and do it. Having a holy fear of God is not only to hate sin, but it's to flee from sin. Right? I remember in youth group and young adults, when you're dating, the question always came up. Especially when it came to the physical things. How far is too far? How close can you get and still be okay and still clear and had those conversations? Now, those conversations don't just apply in just relationships, but just in life. Oftentimes, some of us are asking, How close to the line can we get and still be legally saved and still have a relationship with Jesus? But when you have a holy fear of God, the actual question you will be asking is this. If that's the line, how far away from the line do I need to be in order to get closer into his presence? Not how close do I need to be and still have some. But how far do I need to be so that I can continue to go deeper in his presence? And that's the litmus test of how you know if someone actually fears God or not. If you're asking how close I need to be and want to teeter-totter, listen, you'll lose every time. Yeah. I saw this post on Instagram not too long ago. Quick story is a guy was having a vision, and basically there's there a fence. There's people on one side, people on the other. God grabbed the people on the one side of the fence, took them up to heaven. Then Satan came and grabbed the other people on the other side of the, of the fence, took them to hell. And then he came back to get the gentleman who was on the fence. And the gentleman was like, I'm not ready. He's like, I haven't made my choice yet. And Satan said, don't you know I own the fence? I own the fence. When you have a holy fear of God, the fence doesn't matter. Having a holy fear of God is about trembling at his word. It's about when you read the word, not doing it out of duty. Hey, I got my 10 minutes in. I read my three chapters, you know. I uh, read it through Old and New Testament in a year. Great. I know lots of people who've done that over the years, and nothing has changed in their life. But it's actually when you read the word, it sinks in, and there's actual transformation. It's when you look at it, and you'd be like, oh, this is me. I, I need to work on this. Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? Right? It's not going through the motions. It is having a holy fear is faithfulness to the things God's asked you to do. By the way, if you're looking for direction in life, if you're a follower of Christ, the first place you start is spending time in his presence, knowing his word, and preaching the gospel. You don't need to be a missionary, a pastor, don't need a BTH and all that other stuff to do it. You just start there. That's it. Having a holy fear of God is actually being loyal to Him. Loyalty is not a term we throw around too much in our culture anymore. Commitment for us, for a lot of us, is a scary thing. I mean, I remember when cell phones first came out. You know, you had to lock in for three years. And the plans were a lot more difficult then. You can only talk between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. for three minutes. I'm dating myself. And you only had so many monthly day minutes. And you had to buy those. Right? But you had to lock in for three years, no matter what. Right? Now we got two years. Now we have no commitment plans because everyone's afraid of commitment. We want to opt out every time. And sometimes we treat Jesus like that. We want to be able to opt out. If, If God talks to me about something I don't like, the Holy Spirit, can I opt out? God is looking for people that are loyal, that are faithful, that will endure, that will stand. Having a holy fear is living in complete obedience to him. Meaning he gets the final word on everything and anything. By the way, delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. And partial obedience is the same as disobedience. There's a saying I heard, and I love it. It says, the opportunity of the lifetime is only good as good as the lifetime of the opportunity. There are some things God is asking us to do that are time-sensitive and need to be done today. Yes. Here and now. Not tomorrow. There are things that God is asking you to do to prepare for what's ahead But having a holy fear of him is living in complete obedience to him. It's saying, hey, Lord, and I don't like this part, I'll be honest with you. Lord, I'd like to do it this way because I think it's easier. God's like, no. Do this. It's being obedient even when it doesn't make sense to you. Even if it disrupts what you normally thought was tradition. What is It's saying, yes, I'm in. And even if you don't show up, I will do it anyway. Ask the three amigos, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They knew that life was on the line, but they said, if he doesn't show up, I'm still anyway. I'm not going to bow, still be obedient. All right? And it gave them things. Daniel, same thing. Moses, same thing. Obedience matters. And having a holy fear is refusing to live without his presence. And I want to talk about this for a second here. I want to camp here for a few moments. I'm not talking about his omnipresence, which means God is everywhere. We know that God is everywhere all at once. He holds the sun, the moon, the stars, rotates the earth, the galaxy. We know that. But there's a difference between his omnipresence, knowing that he's there, and his manifest, tangible presence where you get to actually get into the depths of his heart and have intimacy, for lack of a better term, with him. It is refusing to settle for commonplace stuff, for the surface level, and saying, I want some depth to this. And when you taste it, you don't stop. You keep going. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's not omnipresence. That's talking about manifest, tangible presence. For us, we have the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, a lot of us, while we have the Holy Spirit inside us, we don't even know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like. We don't even know what it's like to have a relationship with him. It hasn't been activated because we haven't made the choice to. You see, when you actually get his tangible presence, you will not go back unless you are a fool. Yeah. I did say that. You are a fool if you choose not to. Why do you think Satan hates you so much? He was Lucifer, the head of worship. He was actually in God's presence. I mean, he had the ultimate job when you really think about it. For all of you that are like, love worship in the sense of music and that, like this was it. He had it, and he gets to do this for all eternity. Like, that's all he had to do, and actually be in his physical presence. He didn't have to settle for his omna, but God his manifest. Pride kept it, crept in. He wanted the praise for himself, and he will now never again ever get to experience the manifest presence of God. Yeah. The devil is not a fool. Satan knows God's omnipresence. He knows he exists. He was there, but he is angry. He is crusty and will do what he can because he can never, ever, 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 ever again enter into his manifest presence. And there is a difference. And not every, everyone has the ability to have access to that, but not everyone gets there because it is a choice. Adam and Eve, they had the manifest presence. But the moment Adam took a bite of the fruit, not an apple, nowhere does it say it's an apple, by the way, just the fruit. So, for those Sunday school teachers that always said it was an apple, I love you and we pray forgiveness for you. (laughs) It's not an apple, it's just a fruit. (laughs) They had it and they lost it. Another guy who knows about this, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 14. We don't talk about this guy much, but he is a son of Adam and Eve. His name is Cain. Long story short, here's what happens. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel goes before God and brings the best and the first portion of his offering. Okay, Tithe, by the way. Brings his best and his first portion. God accepts it. And, you know, him and Abel have great relationship. Cain comes next, and Cain brings some portion of his harvest, and not the best. God doesn't accept it, and as a result, Cain gets angry. Now, Cain should have maybe repented and moved on and learned and whatever, but instead, Cain lets this anger build up inside him, and he gets bitter, and he goes, ah, he sees his brother Abel one day, and he goes, aha, I have this idea. I'm going to kill my brother Abel. Because he saw God's favor on his life. And so he kills Abel. God is obviously aware of this, has this conversation with Cain, lists out all these punishments, this discipline. And this is where we get to in Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. This is Cain's response to God's discipline to him. It says, Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Because you have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer, and anyone who finds me will kill me. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. It is too much to bear. That's how much Cain valued God's presence. But he didn't know it until it was gone. David in Psalm, turn with me there, Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 to 11. He writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, if he knew God was everywhere, why would he say this? To set the story up for Psalm 51, you'll see it in your Bible. But basically, David does something that he should never have done. When he should have been out fighting the battle, he stayed behind. He's on his roof. He sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. He ends up being intimate with her, sends her back, gets her pregnant. When he finds out that she's pregnant, he tries to get her husband killed and he finally succeeds. And here Psalm 51 is a result of that because Nathan confronts them. And once he realizes what he did, David repents. And he realizes the value and the cost of what he just did. Not just to Bathsheba, not just to Uriah, but the fact that he would be banished. It could possibly cost him intimate presence with God. And when you have a holy fear, that matters so much to you. That you will do anything and everything you can to please him. What comes out of your mouth, what you watch, what you say, what you do, what you read. Who you hang around with. Who you don't hang around with. Who you let into the table and who you don't let sit at the table. It all matters. Because his presence matters more than anything else. Having a holy fear It's not just a one-and-done thing. It is a growing thing, and it is a New Testament thing, and it is necessary for every single one of us. And just because Jesus came doesn't mean it disappeared. Having a holy fear is respecting God for who he actually is. And there are benefits to holy fear. I'm going to name them off quickly, and then we're going to land the plane here. Number one, wisdom. You can look that up all throughout the Bible. Proverbs, it tells you wisdom. If you want godly wisdom, you start here. You can get worldly wisdom anywhere, but godly wisdom, this is the starting place. Having a holy fear of God, another benefit of this, talks about this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. You have increased life expectancy. Okay? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. You will find refuge and security. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 27, an escape from evil. You want to stay away from evil? Having a holy fear of God has a benefit of that, and God will protect you from that. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, and there are many other verses, but it will help you have true intimacy, true depth to your relationship with him. Think about this for a second. There was Abraham and there was Lot. God spoke to Abraham about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot only got the presence of an angel. That's the difference maker right there. Abraham got firsthand account information. Lot only got to meet with an angel. Okay? Another benefit is manifest presence over his omnipresence. Knowing that God is present at all times, everywhere, but you move beyond that to where you can actually have a conversation with him. By the way, your prayer life should be more of a dialogue than it is a monologue. It is conversation. God does want to speak to you. He wants to hear your heart, but He also wants to share the secrets of His heart with you. The question is, He's looking for people that He can trust with those things. And so the question is, can He trust you? Can he trust you with those things? Why do you think three got access to things and the other nine didn't? Somewhere along the line, trust was broken. They experienced the same things. Jesus many times said, hey, we're going to do this, but don't go tell anyone. But three got access to other things, the other nine didn't. Can God trust you? Holy fear ensures that God can trust you. It takes you from ordinary to extraordinary. It takes common to supernatural. It takes you from being in this world to being set apart. And I'm not talking about being a weird and a fruitcake and a flake, by the way. Some of us, I will say this, give Christianity a bad name because we just do fruity things. (laughs) We we manifest weirdly just for the sake of a show. You don't need to do all of that. You just need to be what God's called you to be. You can be set apart and different and still not be, you'll be weird in a sense, but for the right reasons. Not for the sake of, I don't know, disgust. Can you imagine what the church would be like if we all lived in actual holy fear? Can you imagine the impact that we would have in this world? Can you imagine the souls that would be saved? Can you imagine the difference that it would make and how fast, how much faster the kingdom of God would advance? Because when you have a holy fear, you would have a sense of urgency when it comes to the things of the kingdom. Having a holy fear causes you not to worry about the things of this world. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. My cup runs over. So I'm going to ask Rachel to come up on the keys, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand as we conclude. I know I threw a lot at you. And if I could be honest with you, in putting this message together, I could really feel the weight of it. My wife was asking me on the way in this morning, like, how are you feeling? Are you nervous? I said, no, I I, I can feel the weight of this. Because this is a difference maker. And I've been, thank you. And I've been struggling all week how to land this plane. I know we got a guest worship leader. I know we have things going on, but I'm just going to go with what I know. So here's the deal I know it's noon. I know for some of us, that means the dinner bell rings and we must go and attend to whatever. But this is what I'm going to say. If you want to go deeper, if you haven't grasped this before or you want to learn more about this, then you need to decide here and now the price you're willing to pay. I've always been taught, if you want to get extraordinary things, you have to do things you've never done before. You have to change it up. Now, I could bless you, I can pray for you, and leave you, and let you go. And business as usual. But I really believe that God is calling us to something different. The beginning of the year, we heard when we celebrated 60, for those that were a part of it, if you're not, let me remind you the word was set apart, it was consecrate, which means to actually be set apart for this house. In order to be set apart it's not to be weird and flaky but you need this right here. It is having a holy fear of him. And it will change things. So here's the deal. I'm going to be straight up with you as always. If you want to go deeper and you're in then you're in. You can't, mm you either are or you aren't. God doesn't play games. He's a very simple, very simple. If you have to go, and you must go, then go. But please do so quietly. If you need to pick up your kids, go pick up your children. Please do so respectfully. Normally we have coffee and all that, and we'll get to that later. But this moment, here and now, is a holy moment. And it means we have to change things up. It means we're not in the foyer talking out loud and whatever. Those things are great. There's a time and a place for that. That moment is not now. If you need to do that, go do that in the parking lot. Go do that in your car. Why am I saying this? And why am I talking to you like this? Because I am tired of crappy church. I'm just being straight up and real with you. I am tired of crappy church. I'm not saying what we do is crappy. I am just tired of the same old, same old. I want more. I've already determined I'm willing to pay the price, whether some go, don't go, I don't care. My wife and kids don't go with me, that's fine. That's where I'm at. But I'm done. I'm done with same old. I'm done with we're done at 12, and, you know, we have to rush. I don't care. If you must go, go. We love you. God will bless you on the way out. But if you really, really want his heart, then now you pay the price. And now is here. We go is how we go. And that means we're not talking, we're not looking around, we're not worrying about the next person, but it's you and him, one-on-one with the great one. He is here. And I'm not talking his omnipresence, but I know he is here. And I want you to experience that too. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I'm going to pray. And I, I want you to begin to just talk to him or listen. Again, if you must go, please go quietly. Go pick up your children quietly. This is holy ground. Lord, I have done what you've asked me to do. And now I leave it on you. I know you are here. I actually can sense that you are here. And I pray in the same way, I sense it an even greater that those that are watching online and those that are here would begin to sense your presence here and now. May they taste and see that you are good. That you are good. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way. If there is any sin that we need to deal with, let's deal with it now. Create in us a clean heart. Cast us not from your presence, Lord. Renew a right spirit within us. If there are things you need to deal with, that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you that you need to deal with, now is the time to confess. This is not a place of chitter-chatter or looking around, but like if you legit have stuff that you need to deal with, even the stuff you're not sure about, now is the time. Because here's the thing, the closer you get in his presence, sin does not stand. It can't. So if you need to take a few moments, whatever right now, Lord, search my heart. If there's anything I need to confess, intentionally, unintentionally, show me, and then let's confess it. He is a good Father. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope listening to this week's sermon has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.